abgenommen bedauert. This is Michael Hansen with a MindWeb story from the collection edited by Harlan Ellison. Again, Dangerous Visions, Volume 2. This is titled Moth Race by Richard Hill. Most of them came early, flowing smoothly into the stadium and finding their seats as if by some miracle, and then blinking at each other as they thought, I'm really here at last, and it's so easy. It was unheard of to sit in the direct sunlight this way, and they marveled at the look, feel, and smell of perspiration on themselves. There was no weather control here, and some of them were actually uncomfortable for the first time in their lives. Of course, they had all experienced some of the heat and smell and crowd noise through the medium in past years, but it was not the same as being here. Although the race would not begin for an hour or more, the stadium was nearly full. John Van Dorn had ridden the pet walk from the transporter platform outside almost directly to his seat. He wasn't certain just how he had managed it and was still amazed at his accomplishment. The few people he knew who had been outside Johannesburg had told him how easy it was, and now he had to admit they were right. Johannesburg to Chicago in 30 minutes. A ticket to the race was the only way a man like John could travel, unless, of course, he won the race. And only one man had ever done that. More people together than he had ever seen before, and John felt the excitement they generated at once stimulated and disturbed by it. He saw medium cameras perched around the stadium ring and around the track below, and he knew that dwellings all over the world were full of the recreated sensations of the stadium. Even those who could not go, he knew, were synced in hours before the race, waiting. Those who had been before knew they could never go again. Those who hadn't hoped for a ticket next year and wondered what they could do to improve their chances. Only they, the government, understood why some got tickets and others didn't. This year, there had been a ticket for John. He did not know why. It was the one day of the year that nobody used easy pills. John loved wildness and trouble his blood. Probably, they knew this would not work as well if you used easy pills. But because nobody used them, there was anxiety in dwellings where screens glowed and people sat, and in the stadium itself where the lucky ones gathered. There were even a few fights, impossible any other day of the year, 
They were brief, chiefly because the men fighting were not used to it. They were frightened by their own violence. John saw one such fight. When one man's nose began to bleed, both men stopped, stared at each other in surprise for a moment, and sat down. There was also the wine, something you could get only in the stadium, and everyone took advantage of the chance to drink it. Synthetic, of course. Only the champion, as far as John knew, got to drink real wine. It came from dispensers at the end of each row, and people passed it down to others with comradely cheer. John raised his pouch and shot a stream of the delicious red stuff into his mouth. He was at the end of the row next to the dispenser and had only to reach for more. He was also almost directly below the dignitary's box and would be able to see what went on there. He filled his mouth again and thought as he slowly swallowed about those outside, watching him drink and wondering how it tasted. Or watching him and knowing they would never taste it again. He didn't know why, but the taste and the fact of the wine was never broadcast over the medium. John turned and looked at the dignitary's box and saw the champion. He must have just come, and as the murmur of acknowledgement passed through the crowd, John thought, how close he is. I could walk five feet and touch him. Gray-haired and imposing with lined face, the champion looked fixedly at the track, ignoring the chatter of the unknown dignitary seated around him. Some complained he was an unsatisfactory champion, too quiet or egotistical, and reluctant to talk about himself. After all, they argued, was it not part of the champion's duties to share his experiences with others? At least, that was the theory. But since there had never been another champion, comparisons were impossible. John could remember when there was no champion at all, and very dimly, the times before the races. The race had been held for five years before there was a champion, and people whispered that they were thinking of stopping them because it appeared no one could win. Then the champion came and the rumors stopped. Like everyone else in the world, John had followed him on the medium. For seven years now, they had watched him hunt lions, fish for marlin, climb mountains, all in off-limits areas where none of them could go. They had shared his romance with Rita Landers, the medium star, and the only one in the world whose fame approached his. Of course, there were government officials, some of them in the dignitary's box with him now, but nobody knew or cared about them. They were not the real government anyway, only its physical representatives, or so at least John suspected, though he never spoke of it with anyone. He had once seen the champion on an iceberg and thought the government must be like that, mostly out of sight and different from what it appeared. There was a rumor that Rita Landers, every man's idea of perfect beauty, was the result of an experiment in genetics which they had abandoned after creating her. Since they had her, the rumor went, they decided to make her the only medium star, a receptacle of men's desires. It was shortly after her rise to fame that the champion won. The people had all seen the champion make love to other women, an endless string of them chosen from all over the world. They were not Rita Landers, but they were the best that accidental breeding could produce. And the people had experienced, as well as seen, the champion's conquests through the medium. They had sex themselves, but never with such variety. And they had dined, through him, on food none of them could ever have. They took their vitamin-enriched yeast and algae pills three times a day and waited to experience his meals, 
shiny red lobsters with plump white meat, succulent roasts and steaks, chickens with shiny brown crusts from roasting, and much more. All this was only part of the winner's prize. It was one of the reasons men raced. John would never race, although as a member of the audience, he was eligible. Possibly some of the men around him would try, lured by the possibility of a life like the champions. Some always did. A man beside John asked, Well, what do you think? About what? About the race. What do you think I'm talking about? His accent was difficult to identify. There are still many dialects of English, despite the influence of the medium. Remnants, John guessed, of the days before language unification. Influence of the original tongue in English. John hadn't heard many other dialects. He didn't think of his own speech as dialect. And he told the man, Yeah, of course it's exciting. Well, you race? No, no, not me. I'm on the list to be married. Yeah, who isn't? We got about as much chance of marrying as we do of winning this race. The man jabbed him in the ribs as he laughed. A local custom, maybe, but that was how fights started. Well, I still have hope. I want a child. The world has enough children, <laughs> but we could use another champion. Don't you like him? Sure, I admire him, but but why can't he loosen up hell? It's it's undemocratic. What's a champion for if not to tell us what Rita Landers and those others are like, eh? But we all, all had it on the medium, John said, remembering how aroused he and Betty had been afterward. Okay, uh, good, but, but not good enough. Remember what he said afterward when reporters asked him? <laughs> you saw for yourselves. Now, if that isn't the arrogance for you, I want to hear him talk about it. Uh, he did seem excited about that African girl, said John, remembering how strangely the champion had behaved in that interview. She must have been something. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't come across on the medium. Yeah, yeah, true love. And too bad they wouldn't let him stay with her, poor man. But, but how about the rest? Imagine having all that stuff and being moved from one to another and having nothing more to say than that. And he glanced almost fearfully at the champion again. Besides, I don't like the idea of him preferring that black. Did you take your pills today? Yeah, of course not. Damn you, nobody does on a day. He realized what John was asking him and looked embarrassed. It was the first prejudice John had seen in years. The easy pills usually took care of that. I wouldn't be that way said a voice to John's left. He was younger than John, really only a boy. I wouldn't be that way. I'd be a good champion. Ha! You wouldn't know what to do with Rita Landers. The boy was on his feet. Take that back. The man hesitated and dropped his eyes. Eh, what the hell? You won't race anyway. But I will, said the boy as if he had just made up his mind. I'm going now. The boy began walking down the ramp. John had an impulse to stop him, but didn't. After all, without racers, there could be no race. Perhaps he would make it. After all, the champion had. Well, what do you think of that? He's really going to do it. John looked away and did not answer. There were six racers on the track now, one more than last year. 
Perhaps there would be others, although it was rare for others to volunteer after the race had begun. A boy like this one who had just gone down might have been expected to live another 80 or 90 years before he failed his physical. He would never be ill, never hungry, never anxious, neither too hot nor too cold, never without a sexual partner. If he wanted a child, he could get on the list like everyone else. And maybe, before he was too old, he could get permission to have one. If he were exceptional, he might even go to college and do something really important, like work in the undersea food farms or in a moon lab. He might be selected for one of the colonies or join the government, if his tests indicated such an aptitude. Then he could have a travel permit, at least on a need basis, and wouldn't have to wait, like the shop people, for the race and hope for a ticket just to leave his city. Yet he and others did it. They risked everything just to be heroes. If being a hero was all you wanted, that was the way. Even those who lost the race became famous, had their pictures all over the world for a year. But it had never made sense to John. He had his moments of foolishness when it occurred to him, but then he would think of Betty's warmth and softness and smile. Why should he risk losing that? Or he would think again of how hopeless it was to win. But the race was rigged, and the thought would frighten him. There was something about the spectacle that disturbed him, though he would never admit it to him. The six below presented their info cassettes to the recorder so that everything about them could be digested before the race. They waited as the computer worked. He saw the boy move his feet nervously. Once the computer had your cassette, you had to go. The cars were lined up at the starting gate. They seemed smaller than in years past when he'd seen them on the medium. They were bright-colored aluminum machines with room for only the driver. The gates were buried in the track now, apparently under the control of the track computer. John realized with surprise that he was already sunburned and wine was working on him. He looked around the crowd, noticing that the noise level had risen and that the others, too, were affected. It was a strange feeling, something like power and something like courage. So those words were just beginning to have meaning. The track was clear now, and the crane stood ominously in the infield. The sight of it sobered John somewhat. Ladies and gentlemen, the race will begin in five minutes. The announcer's voice surprised him. He hadn't realized race time was so close. Tension was heavy in the air, and the crowd noise was suddenly hushed. The language of the program was simple, low-key, nothing to detract from the serious purpose of the day. They would never have allowed this, John thought vaguely, if it were not serious and important. He didn't know where the idea had come from, though there had been rumors about that, too. One was that the social engineers, or whoever controlled them, were worried about the easy pills. They were not sure that undesirable behavior would not somehow come to the surface despite the easy pills. Nor were they certain that everyone could be trusted to take them. Strict enforcement was possible, but not desirable. They wanted some way to release the tension the pills merely covered up. Someone had come up with the race. The events here today are serious and of great magnitude for the world. We have gathered to admire the courage of those who race today and to praise, once again, our great champion. 
The crowd was immediately on its feet, despite the earlier grumbling, applauding wildly as the grizzled champion stood. All the wine reddened and sunburnt faces grinned, and there was even more noise. Wineskins popped to the floor. The other dignitaries with the champion were clapping and trying to shake his hand, trying to draw some of the glory to themselves. John realized that Rita Landers had arrived and was now standing beside the champion. As though true to some ancient ritual, she had arrived at the last minute. Champ! The crowd screamed. Rita! Champ! Rita! Champ! Rita! And John was caught up in their emotion. Surely there had never been two more desirable and admirable people, he thought, and his eyes were wet with tears of pride. Yet somehow the champion seemed untouched by the crowd, almost sad and bored. John chanted louder as though I would break the champion from his dark mood. And the tears streamed down his sun-reddened cheeks. He yelled until he grew dizzy and had to sit down. Finally, the crowd's noise began to subside, but not completely. There was now that frenzied undertone he remembered hearing from the medium at other races. This was what they had come for. The announcer knew it and moved them expertly before they could begin their chant again. Our first racer, Esadakichi Muramoto from Tokyo. He is 25 years old and works in Shop 13. The announcer went on, using the computer-organized biography. By the time he had finished, John felt he knew the man from Tokyo. No, felt that he was the man from Tokyo. Then it was time for the first race. Sadakichi climbed into his car, a red one, and was pushed a few feet to the starting line. An official stood by the button with his hand raised. There was, as everyone knew, no controlling the speed. It was 60 miles an hour, calculated to round the track in two minutes, if the driver could avoid the gates. The gates would rise as the computer determined at various places along the five lanes. At that speed, it was unrealistic to try to avoid them. Indeed, by the time the car reached one, it might well have snapped back into the track. It was all simply a matter of chance. There was no controlling one's fate on the track, yet almost every driver tried. Miramoto got almost a mile, weaving from lane to lane, before a gate rose in front of him. He swerved to avoid it and ran into another which had risen where a moment before no gate had been. The gate he had swerved to avoid was already back in place by the time his car impacted. The car crumpled, as it was designed to do, like an accordion. <gasps> Breathed the crowd as one, and then individual shouts of, Oh no! And, He's hit it! All around him, people were crying, and John felt tears again in his own eyes. It was difficult to remember from year to year what it was like. The easy pills probably prevented that. But this was it, all right, and much stronger than what you got through the medium. His head throbbed with the wine as he let his emotions be purged with the others. He was such a promising young man. Why couldn't he make it? She was comforted by a man sitting next to her, who said sadly, it's all right. You know, they they have to try. But you can't beat the gates, she said. And the man said without much conviction, 
Phil, the champion, did. The crane moved slowly to the place on the track where the car had struck and lifted it. The gate snapped back into place unharmed, and the crane deposited crumpled car and driver into a vehicle waiting on the infield. There would be a collective burial of drivers in their cars after the race. Our next racer is a man from... And so it continued. John knew why it was better to be here at the stadium than to experience it at home. The crowd was as one, sharing its collective sorrow and strength. There was no more hatred, no more separation. After the third racer, a woman named Consuela from Buenos Aires who barely got away from the starting line before a gate crushed her like a moth against a moving transport window. He saw the man who had shown bigotry earlier walk down three rows to put his hand on a weeping black woman's shoulder. Everyone was crying now, everyone except the champion. John saw him above sitting impassively while Rita wept on his shoulder. The boy was last. They saw him hesitate, then climb into a yellow car. The official's hand came down, and he was off, attaining top speed almost immediately. He, too, chose to dodge from lane to lane. The second hand moved on the stadium clock as he got farther around the track. You're from Jacksonville, John thought as the tiny car moved. You work in Shop 36. Your name is Henry Matthews. All of that must count. Make it count. Then a gate caught the boy, too. You can't beat the gates. It was the last race, so the crowd released its pity and relaxed its fear for all the racers. The stadium was filled with it. The race was over now, and they mourned their heroes well. But in the process, they prepared themselves to carry on. We did not race, they thought. We must go on living. They felt a load had been lifted from them. They felt almost lighthearted. But suddenly, there was a commotion. People turned to look. It was the wrong time for a disturbance, and they resented it. Then someone said, The champion! John, too, looked behind and saw the champion standing. His expression had not changed. He still looked bored. The champion did beat the gates, they remembered together. Was he going to speak? John wondered. He had never spoken voluntarily before. John stood and turned around to see better. Then he noticed Rita pulling on the champion's arm, and she was screaming, No, no. Dignitaries tried to hold the champion back and were shrugged off. The champion began to walk down the ramp. John still did not understand until someone screamed, He's going to race! Yes, he thought as he watched the champion come down the ramp toward him. It could only mean that. But why, John wondered and heard voices in the crowd echo his question. The champion had everything in the world he could want. He had travel and women and food and adventure and fame. He had earned it already and did not have to earn it again. The champion looked at some in the crowd as he passed. 
John was one of those whose eyes met his. For long minutes, it seemed, and he felt drowned in sadness. He felt the champion was trying to tell him something. Was that it? Could the champion be tired of his life? Was there something about it none of them knew? Something to confirm John's nagging doubts that could make him do this? The wine had his head so hot, so confused. It was a terrifying idea, and John fought to put it from his mind. Surely that wasn't what the champion had tried to tell him. But the way he had looked at him. Then the champion was walking onto the field. He spoke briefly with the announcer, who appeared not to know what to do. The announcer disappeared for a few minutes and then reappeared at the microphone. The champion will defend his title. A silver-gray car. The color of the champion's hair was rolled onto the track. With no hesitation, he climbed in and allowed it to be pushed to the line. The crowd was becoming hysterical. No, don't let him! John heard and turned to see Rita struggling with two of the dignitaries, but the crowd picked it up. Don't let him! Don't let him! They began to chant. Don't let him! John chanted with them. But when he looked back, the race had begun. The champion had won the first time by driving straight down the center lane. He knew the odds and didn't try to outmaneuver the gates. Others had tried his system without success. But there was no doubt it had worked for him, and he was using it again this time. Already he was beginning the second mile, and still moving. Did he have some special charm? The champion made it. Would the luck that brought him through the first time bring him through again? Then, suddenly, the champion was gone. An unseen but felt red explosion inside a silver-gray lump of aluminum. The crane did not move, as though it could not believe its next task. There was a deep and long silence. Then there was a growing noise in the stadium. John realized part of it was coming from him. At first, it was inarticulate, like the cries of animals. Then, it found words. He's gone! Someone screamed. There's no more champion. We've lost him. The champion didn't make it. A pounding grew in John's head and became a refrain with which he led the crowd. We need a champion. We need a champion. He did not know its origin, not even really its meaning, but it was there, throbbing in his head, overwhelming him completely. It had now been communicated to the others, and the whole stadium shook with the sound. We need a champion! We need a champion! We need a champion! Then, suddenly, it was, I will be the champion. I will be the champion. I will be the champion. And then, John was running down the ramp toward the track, waving his arms and shouting, I will! I will! I will! And behind him came others. Thank you.
The story you've heard this time was Moth Race, written by Richard Hill. It appears in the collection Again, Dangerous Visions, Volume 2, edited by Harlan Ellison. I'm Michael Hansen. Technical operation for this program by Marsha Phillips. MindWebs comes to you from WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.